sang, everyone. If you please stand.
what I, I'm going to have to go get, you're from Mississippi, can you bring us a squirrel and we'll let it loose? <clears throat> I'm telling you, you're good all the time. God is good all the time, right? He is. I'm glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, if you're one of our guests, we're especially thankful that you are here and would love for you to fill out an uh, information card that's in our... Uh, it's part of your bulletin, tear it out, put it in the offering plate, or hand it to a minister at the door at the end of the service. But uh, just excited that you're here with us this morning, that, you're gonna, that you've chosen Northside to be a place that you would worship this morning. Uh, that's just, that's exciting to me. So if you'll take this time right now to find someone, shake their hand and say, I'm going to bring a squirrel next week unless you smile. Do that right now. going on with the projector there, so hopefully you can look around the corner over there and see what's going on.
Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this great day you've given us to come to church and please help all the tithes and offerings to further your kingdom. And in your gracious name we pray. Amen.
All right, we have all the children come on down front here with me for a minute. Well, good morning. How are y'all doing? Good. Some of y'all look really tired like you played soccer yesterday. Yeah, some of you did. Some of y'all had a really good time, didn't you? Was it fun? Awesome. All right. Did anybody tell me if I can get them out? what these are binoculars. they're binoculars that's right what do we use binoculars for bird watching bird watching, bird watching. what else hunting. for hunting what are you hunting uh, find, deer. find deer find treasure okay see things closer that are far away right so if something's really far away and you want to see it then what yeah, if you look at them the right way, then it makes them bigger, right? So if I look through these right now, you can't see me. Whoa! Yeah, I thought you were right in front of me. Oh, you are right in front of me. <laughs> That's silly. All right. So we use things like binoculars to look at things from a distance far, far away and look at it so we can see it closer, right? It changes our perspective. All right, I want to put a picture up on the screen real quick. Okay, y'all see this, the picture behind me? All right, what does that look like to y'all? It's a dog eating a bone. Are you sure? Okay. All right, well, let's look at it again. How about now? What is it? Whoa. You know what? That's the same picture just flipped upside down. All right. It's a dog with a bone sitting on the ceiling, right? All right, and then let's look at this last picture. What is that a picture of? Jesus. Jesus. All right, that is a picture of Jesus. It looks like him. Now look a little bit closer. Okay, maybe maybe use the binoculars and look at it. Look through real quick. What do you see on that picture? You can't see anything. You said what? Is that up close? Okay, but what do you see around the picture? Do you see maybe like a cow? There's a star. Okay, look, that, if you look at it really closely, you can see that that's the whole story of Jesus' life. From his birth down here at the bottom, where the cow is and Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, and it, the angel coming to him, and it goes all the way around. It tells the entire story of Jesus. It's just like reading our Bible. Okay, if you read your Bible daily, like we should be doing right sometimes we look at a verse and we just read over it and say oh yeah that was a good verse but if we really look hard at it we really take the time to spend time looking at that verse then it can look at like something like this it could be a difference from a dog eating a bone to a man with a hat or it could be a difference of a picture of just Jesus to really digging into that and seeing what that verse is about from the start to the finish so when you're reading your Bibles or your parents are reading your Bibles to them, take a little bit more time on some verses that maybe you don't understand or maybe you want to understand more about and work on those together as a family, okay? All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we uh, thank you, number one, for your word, that, uh, that you've given us your word, that we can look at it, not just read it, Lord, but really dive into it, really understand what it means. Um, sometimes it may take a set of binoculars or, or somebody else's viewpoint um, to understand what that word is, Lord. 
But let's do that as a family, as together. In your precious holy name we pray. Amen. Stand once again. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but only lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ's solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath, his covenant, his blood, spared me in the whelming flood. sound. Oh, may I then in him be found, rest in his righteousness alone, thoughtless to stand before the throne. Solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Thank you. Thank you, Curtis. You can be seated. You can be seated. Thank you, Curtis and Ann and our musicians um, for leading us this morning. It was back in uh, 2011. 2011, I, I met a, a man who was a taxi driver. He was a taxi driver. His name was Raul. His name was Raul. I met him in Peru. And... I've got a little picture of he and I as we were, this was, uh, this was one Sunday morning in front of the church, and so uh, I was getting ready to preach, and he was going to translate for me, and I always told my translators, if it ain't any good, just make something up, make it, make it better. Um, but Raul was a translator with us there for a full, uh, a full week. And, and I learned a lot about him from his serving with him, serving alongside of him in, in uh, Peru. Um, like I said, he was, a, he was a taxi driver, but he also made a good bit of income by being a translator. I got the chance to just talk to him a little bit about his life. His parents lived up in the mountains, and they sent him to Lima to get a good education, to hopefully get out of the mountains to make something of himself. And they, they just sent him to Lima when he was 12 years old. Uh, hopefully he would find a job and have a place to live, and, 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 and he did. He said it was kind of tough, but, you know, I, I eventually got fed, and then he would pat his belly, as you can see. And, and he, he had just a good uh, sense of humor, but 
at age 56, he started a new venture. At age 56, he decided to learn a new language. It would be the English language. And so, like I say, he served with a translator uh, for us for, for some time. And he's a very, very humble man. He, uh, he, didn't, he didn't think a lot of himself, or really, he didn't think of himself often. He was always, or he didn't have time to think of himself because he was constantly thinking of other people. How can I serve them? What can I do to help them? How can I encourage them? But Raul, even though I only met him for a week, he, he deeply impacted my life just in the way he served. Now, on our journeys to Peru, we would fly into Lima. And we would land in, in Lima, and Lima is on the coast, and so it's very warm and muggy. It's very humid there. We'd land on the coast, but the town in which we, uh, which we worked was a little town in the mountains called Yungay, Peru. Yungay, Peru, and it was uh, an eight-hour bus ride through the Andes Mountains, or, as, as I discovered pretty quickly, we could pay about 150 more dollars and get like a 60-minute flight and that's my option every time after the bus ride trip. Um, but uh, and that was awesome. It was a 16-passenger plane, and you get up there, you're flying around in the mountains, just beautiful, and then you land. You land at 10,000 feet, and so an hour ago, you were on the coast in the tropics, and it was hot and balmy, and just, it was, it was humid, and then you land in the mountains, and I'm like, this is why I come to the mountains on a mission trip in the summer, because it was nice and cool and beautiful, but... Um, but anyway, this particular trip, we opted for the bus ride, save a little bit of money, okay? On the way back, on the way back, I got to sit next to Raul, and we, we talked for a long time. We had been serving together all week, and we were coming back to Lima. Uh, and so just as part of a conversation, I just asked him. I said, Raul, if you just had two or three days you just had two or three days where you didn't really have any responsibilities. You kind of just do whatever you wanted to. What would you do? And I was trying to think, how would I ask somebody, what's your hobbies? And so that was the question I came up with for whatever reason. Uh, and then he looked at me like he was totally in shock. Like two or three days with no responsibilities? What kind of life do you think this is? Uh, like he was sincerely, like I don't know what a vacation is. That's the kind of thoughts I got from him just, just, just looking at him. But... He came back pretty quickly with an answer. He said, I guess if I had two or three days with nothing to do, I would go somewhere by myself and my Bible, and I would just read God's Word and spend time in prayer with Him. Now, I had already had an answer because I thought he might ask me the same thing, and I quickly changed my answer. <laughs> it's like, there's no way I could give that answer. Um, I had already thought I would talk about traveling, and I would want more than two or three days. I'd want several weeks, and I would travel, and there's some places I'd like to go. And so uh, I changed my answer because he asked me, what would you like to do? And I changed it a little bit. I didn't lie to him because this is, this is really what I would like to do. I would love one day to travel the Holy Land. Um, but it struck me that, man, here's a guy. Here's a guy that if he's got extra time, He's going to spend it in the presence of the Lord. He's going to spend it in God's word and investing in himself because he's investing in God's word and allowing it to be a part of his life. And I thought, I need to be more like Raul. I want to be more like Raul. Um, and so, like I said, he, I only met him for a week, but he impacted my life to a, 
to a great degree. And so I share that story with you this morning, and I would ask if you have your Bibles to turn to the book of Acts, we're going to look at um, some more folks who remind me of Raul when I read this story. Uh, Acts chapter 17, and as you get there, I would ask if you would, if you are able, that you would please stand for the reading of God's word. Acts 17, beginning in verse 1. Then they traveled through Amphibolus and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As usual, Paul went to the synagogue and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and showing that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Then some of them were, pers were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a great number of God-fearing Greeks as well as a number of the leading women. But the Jews became jealous, and they brought together some scoundrels from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Attacking Jason's house, they searched for them and to, to bring them out to the public assembly. And when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too, and Jason has received them as guests. They're all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying that there's another king, Jesus. The Jews stirred up the crowd and the city officials who heard these things. So taking a security bond from Jason and the others, they released them. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas off to Berea. On arrival, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. The people here were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. Since they welcomed the message with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Lord, thank you for your word. We're going to speak from your word and we're going to speak about your word today. Would you please bless the reading of the Bible? Give me words to say this morning. Give us open hearts and ears to hear a message from you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What we have here in the book of Acts, just this first, uh, this, this first chapter here, this, or this first part of chapter 17, we have two different responses to preaching. Two different responses to preaching. Paul and Silas have gone into town. They've gone into the town of Thessalonica. They've gone before the synagogue. They've proclaimed the, they've proclaimed the good news. Uh, and it says that some of them believed. But then you have a large contingency of the Jews that got upset. They got jealous. And so two responses to this preaching. And two things happen during, while, while, while they're preaching. Paul proclaims the gospel, he shares the good news of Jesus, and he expounds upon scripture. In this case, it's the Old Testament. But one group rejected, they became jealous. See in verse 2, it says that Paul reasoned with them. But see, they, they became jealous. But there was another group, another group believed. Look at, look at this graphic, verse, verse 11. Look what it says. This group believed... But why did they believe? It says that they welcomed the message with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They didn't reject. Paul didn't even reason with them. He just explained it. But their hearts were already receptive because they were in the scriptures daily. They understood. You see, in Thessalonica, Paul showed up three Saturdays in a row to explain the scriptures to them and to reason with them, and, and they still had issues. But when he gets over to Berea, he gets there and people's hearts are ready and they're receptive for God's word. And they quickly 
They quickly believed and they received God's word. Now, I said this was two different reactions to preaching. And I want to talk a little bit this morning about preaching and teaching God's word and, and, and what that means and, and how we do it. Sometimes it's asked of me, what kind of preaching do you do? Um, and I, I don't think they're asking me to say it's all right or it's marginal. But I think they're asking, what style of preaching do you have? And there's, depending on who you listen to, you could see a, you could see a dozen different styles of preaching. But it's, essentially, there's, I guess if you boil it all the way down, there's, there's just a couple. Uh, well, there's could be totally unbiblical in that one. I didn't categorize that one. But there's topical, expository, and textual. Well, what does all that mean? Well, good. I'm glad you asked. I'm not real sure. But the right answer for me, the right answer for me is that I, I would preach expository. And the root there is to expose. Uh, that I would expound upon the scripture. Now, I'll talk a little bit about what that means in a minute. But two things I always try to do in a sermon. One is, I want to tell you the gospel. I think there's an opportunity to share the gospel. I ought to share the gospel. And then preaching from God's word, I ought to share the gospel. Tell you about who Jesus is, why he came, why you need him, and what, what he's done for you if we would only repent and believe. But also, I, don't wanna, I, I want to just take God's word, open it up, and then allow it to be illuminated, maybe expound upon it a little bit. So... I want to proclaim the gospel, and I want to expound upon God's word. If I can do those two things, then I think the sermon, the sermon should, should be able to stand. So the right answer for me is expository. What I mean by that, it might be, it might be that I choose to follow a book. That's what we're doing in the book of Acts. I'm going through. Have I preached every single verse? I, I have not. Sometimes I would say, that's a great passage. You should go home and read it. But I'm I'm, but I'm walking us through the book of Acts. So that's one way to do that. We'll follow a book. But I might also follow a theme. For me, as I define expository preaching, it might be a theme. Uh, for instance, I might look at the Gospel of John and talk about the seven signs that point to the Messiah. And we would take one of those signs each week and talk about the significance thereof. But I wouldn't just toss them in there. I would open up the passage, we would look at it, and we would... Allow the text to speak there for itself there. Um, it might be that I follow a theme like that. It might, be that I, it might be that I follow a lead. What I mean by that is just a few weeks ago, I was reading through the book of Acts. We were preaching through the book of Acts. We got to the part where, where Paul says, it is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of, of heaven. And I said, well, let's just pause right there for a minute and talk about what, what does he mean through many tribulations? And we looked at the problem of evil in our world. We went back to Genesis and Daniel. And so in that sense, we... I followed a lead, but I was still attempting to share the gospel and attempting to expound upon scripture. And I'm beginning scripture. I don't go the other way around. But I always try to allow the text to speak for itself. Allow the text to speak for itself. I try to do that in my preaching. I try to do that also in my teaching. If you are a teacher... I would encourage you to do the same thing. Now, there's some techniques in teaching, like asking questions and that kind of thing, but when it comes to simply sharing God's word, here are some questions. This is not an exhaustive list by any means, but here are some questions that I try to ask, and then I try to answer, and then when I'm putting a sermon together, I want to share what I've asked and share what I've answered and share that with you. But I ask this question first. 
what did this mean to the original hearers? What did this mean to the original hearers? In other words, the very first people that picked up the gospel, or that, that excuse me, the very first people that picked up the book of Acts and they read it, what were they hearing? I, I got a great example from this passage right now. Who is Jason? Where did he come from, right? Well, the first people that read it, my assumption is they knew who Jason was, so he didn't need to explain. Jason, you know, the son of Joseph, the, the, the guy that's a fisherman. I, they didn't, he didn't explain anything. He just said, Jason. My assumption is the first people who read this are like, oh, yeah, Jason. I don't know who Jason was, but he didn't write it for me. He wrote it, and those first people that, that read it probably understood who he was. And so I have to ask this question, what did this mean to those very first people that heard it? Now, how do we know that? We have to understand the context. We have to understand the culture they were in. And, and we'll begin to understand what it's saying there. Now, listen. It'll never mean something different to me than it meant to the original hearers. Now, listen to that. It'll never mean something different. It'll never mean something new. Now, the application may be different, okay? The implications for me in my life may be different, but that root truth that's there in Scripture, it's, it was true when it was written, and it's true now. That truth transcends time and culture and place. The truth is there, but now I have to ask the question, now how do I apply that truth to my life? That may look different. The application of it may look different than a first century Jewish woman who's heard this scripture and me. Okay? All right. So, like I said, what is the context? What does this tell me? Here's, here's a great couple of questions here. What does this passage tell you about man? What does this tell you about humans in general? And what does this passage tell me about God? What is this passage telling me about God? Is it telling me he's compassionate? His love endures forever? Is he telling me his judgment is certain? What does it tell me about man? Does it tell us that man is foolish? Does it tell us that sometimes man can, can lead okay? What is this passage telling me about man? What does it tell me about God? Are there significant words or phrases? Man, you just want to look and say, wow, I, I see that this, this is a big word, and it shows up, it shows up five times in, in six verses here. That must be a significant word. Let me look it up and research. What does this word mean? Because it was clearly important in this passage or these phrases. And then lastly, uh, like I said, it's not an exhaustive list. What are the applications or implications for me? And then certainly as I'm preparing for a sermon, I would also say, what about for our church? What does this mean? How does this passage apply to our church? Because it's not just an intellectual exercise. It's something that we must take to heart and make some changes in our life if necessary. So what are the applications or implications for me or for the church? These are some questions that I ask trying to allow the text to speak for itself. I don't want to read into it something, and I try. Nobody is perfect in that. Everybody brings some type of uh, preconceived ideas into the Bible, but we try as best we can just to allow the text to speak and for my preconceived ideas to fall to the side as much as we can. I love God's Word. I love the Bible. But maybe, maybe I have a question that is just this. Why would we use the Bible as our foundation on teaching and preaching? Why lean upon the Bible? Why do we hold it in high regard? 
Why the Bible? Why the Bible? Well, first of all, if you look, look at verse 11 again in this passage. It says that, verse 11, the people here were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica since they welcomed the message with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. What I have says examined. Maybe yours says studied. But one of the reasons I use the Bible when I preach, you know, as opposed to, hey, let's open up the Wall Street Journal or Psychology Today as they take our text from there this morning. Uh, one of the reasons I use the Bible is because I want you to cross-examine what I say. I, I mean, a few years ago, as a youth pastor, I looked around the room, nobody had their Bibles out, and so I, I said this. I did. just said, hey, look, this is from the Gospel of Luke. I think I said Gospel of Luke. I don't know. This is from the Gospels. You don't have to turn there, but you're probably all familiar with this story. I said, you remember the story of the little boy who had a possessed goat and Jesus was coming to town and he went to go see Jesus and asked him to heal his possessed goat. You remember that story? Some of them were nodding. <laughs> One kid is flipping all over his Bible trying to find that story. He actually brought his and he, then he raised his hand. He says, BJ, I, I don't know where that story is. And so finally I had to say, well, thank you. But how do you know? I mean, I, took a, I thought it was a pretty extreme story, you know. But how, how do you know what's being proclaimed is the truth unless you have your own scriptures to read? Again, I, uh, whenever, I was, whenever I was in seminary, I was taking a class on worship, and one of the tasks we had was to go and visit some different churches. Their, their style of worship was different than what we were used to, okay? So Mississippi squirrel type thing. But uh, so one of the styles that was different, I just knew that this one would be different, was a Catholic, church, a Catholic service. And so I went into the Catholic church. I know the time I stepped out of my truck that they knew I wasn't from around here. Because I was bringing my Bible with me. I didn't realize it until after I was already in there. I was the only person in there besides the priest that had a copy of God's Word. I know that I must have been identified as somebody that's an oddball. Not... I didn't wash my hands either um, in, the, in, the, in the community water, but not everybody else did. There were several other things I wasn't real sure about, but God's word was the thing that stuck out to me. It's like nobody else, has a, nobody else brought their Bible. I, I wanted to, and there were none in the pews, but I want you to be able to cross-examine what I say. I, I would do my best to preach the truth, but I'm fallible. I, I can mess up sometimes, and, and, and I can certainly be corrected. I can say that while Lindsay's not in here. <clears throat> but why the Bible? One, I want you to cross-examine. But, but two, uh, Baptist heritage. We're Baptists. We're Baptists. We, we, we believe in the Bible. If you go back and you look at the history of the faith statements that came out from Baptists, not just Southern Baptists, but even so back as... Uh, regular Baptists and particular Baptists and all those other kind of Baptists, uh, they have in their documents a message about God's Word, scriptures being foundational. Baptist faith and message, the first one was uh, 
accepted or, or written, approved in 1925, and was another one in 1963, and our most recent one update is in, in the year 2000. And <clears throat> listen to this, I just want to read it to you. This is just the portion on the Holy Scriptures, which, by the way, after the preamble of the Baptist faith and message, it's the first, it's the first item, it's the first article there. So listen, Baptist faith and message on the Holy Scriptures. The Holy Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and, is, and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. All scripture is a testimony to Christ who is himself the focus of divine revelation. I love that. I love that we begin our Baptist faith and message talking about the scriptures because then everything else flows from that. What we believe about God, who we say Jesus is, what we say about the sinfulness of man, what we believe about the church, the end times, the family, how we handle ourselves in peacetime and war. All of those things flow from our belief in, in what we understand as God's word in scripture. However, one small caveat I still approve this. I still like it. I think it's I think it's good. But in all honesty, and it's my opinion that the 63 version, the wording is a little bit better. And if I had been at the convention in 2000, there's a chance I would have stood up and said, "Wait a minute." But I wasn't. This is what I want to say and I'll just share this so you'll know where I stand on this. In 1963, the version says this. It says um, the Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is the record of God's revelation. Don't miss that. The 63 says it's the record of God's revelation. The 2000 says it is the revelation. Am I nitpicking here? Maybe, but in my mind, the perfect revelation of God to man is Jesus. And so I, that's why I like that it says the Bible is God's record of the revelation. We serve a triune God. We worship a we 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 we, serve, we we worship the Trinity, and the Bible is not part of that. It is the it is the record. It is the it is the uh, record. It's the record of, of those things. And it, it gives it's God's word to us, but we don't worship the Bible. We worship Holy Spirit, Father, and Son. We don't worship the Bible. So I just want to be careful in that. Now, I might be kicked out of the convention now, but we'll see. I just, I just prefer the, the reading there, the way it was written in 1963. But yeah, not only that, it's not just Baptist history, it's, it's, it's history in general. The whole, the, the whole reason that the Reformation was worth anything was because people needed to get God's word in their hands and understand what God's word was saying. I was listening to... Um, some family members just this past weekend who, who recently had been to Europe and just how disappointed they were. You, says, this, you, you go over and you see these enormous cathedrals and you look around and say, this was being built while everybody out there was starving. The church had so much power. The church had so much money, so much wealth. And that was one of the reasons why they didn't want Luther and Zwingli and all the others to produce a copy of God's word that the people could understand and read. We have a rich heritage and, and history of using God's word and 
proclaiming truth from God's word. But not only can you cross-examine me, not only we talk about the history that we have of God's word, but it's trustworthy. It is absolutely trustworthy. Some people say, can we trust the Bible? It's so old, I don't know that I can trust it. Well, first of all, let's just try to debunk that a little bit. Let's look at the Old Testament scriptures, these 39 books. They were written between 1400 and 430 B.C., thereabouts, close to that time frame. These books were written. Now listen, it wasn't the church that decided about these 39 books. They had already been codified. They had already been assembled by the, by the Jews. When you hear someone say a Jewish Bible, this is, this is really kind of what they're, what they're talking about. Now certainly there's the first five books of the law, but, but when, you, when you add to it the law, the prophets, and the writings, which by the way, that's words, that's language we hear Jesus using. That's what he's talking about, those 39 books of the Old Testament. And so I, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident in saying that that would have been the scriptures that Jesus studied and if Jesus studied those scriptures, I'm okay claiming those 39 books as, as the Old Testament. That's pretty good for me. Now, I realize if you're not a believer and you don't think that Jesus is trustworthy, you might not understand that. You, that, that or that you might not come to that same conclusion. But for me, from what I understand, those 39 books that we call our Old Testament, those are the ones that Jesus would have studied himself and the ones he would refer to when he says the law, the prophets, the writings. But there's more. Now, well, what about, what about one of these guys that is writing on a scroll and he messes up? He messes up and it gets copied and then it gets copied and copied and somebody else messes up and it gets copied and copied and it gets, and, and so we don't, we, don't, we don't really know what Isaiah wrote. Well, hold on just a minute. Let me share with you from Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell is, is a great apologist of our time. Uh, he was... He was a reporter, and he set out to disprove Christianity. Someone gave him that, along with you know, Lee Strobel. They have very similar testimony. He set out and said, I'm going to disprove this whole thing about Christianity, but the more I investigated, the more truth I found, and I couldn't help but fall down on my face before the Lord because I realized it's true. So let me tell you what he has to say about the Old Testament scriptures. This is in a little book called Don't Check Your Brains at the Door. It's a good book for high school students. Um, as you head off to college, don't, don't just stop thinking because your professor says this is so. <clears throat> First of all, the Old Testament was copied with such precision that when an entire scroll had been copied by hand, one letter at a time, if one mistake was made, then the entire scroll was destroyed. If there was one letter that was off, then the entire scroll was destroyed and they started over. But then it talks about, then, then he goes on to talk about with detail what these copyists would do, these priests, these scribes, the Pharisees, if you will, what they would do. Each copy had to be made on a brand new writing surface and had to be prepared in a very specific way. Each copy had to be written in a certain number of columns of 30 letters in width and a certain number of lines in each column. Each copy had to be written in a certain color and a quality of ink. Each copy had to be made from an authenticated original. I can't just go borrow John's down the street and copy it. It's got to be authenticated by a group of priests to say this is an original copy. And then this. Not even the tiniest letter could be written from memory. As one would glance at the word to, and he puts that in there, T-O, in quotes, 
and write the letters T and O before glancing back to the original. But every letter was copied from the original. No letter could connect with or overlap another letter. Okay? I know. I think about my aunt, whom I love, and her handwriting. Her letters overlap. It's beautiful, but it's hard to read. The distance between each of these letters had to be measured by a single hair or a piece of thread. So they had to be very precise. But this, this is a kicker. I, I, can't, I can't believe that this is, well, I can believe it, but this is hard to believe. Every letter of every page and book was counted and compared against the original. The number of times each letter of the alphabet occurred in a book was counted and compared against the original. The middle letter of the Pentateuch, that's the first five books of the Old Testament, and the middle letter of the entire Hebrew Bible were computed and indicated in the text. If one of these calculations was incorrect, then the entire copy was discarded. I mean, you count every letter on the page, every letter in the book to make sure that all the that, that you have however many hundreds of letters. There's no way, there's no way that we have so much variation in the Old Testament scriptures that we don't know what was originally stated. They took painstakingly uh, skill and time to make sure that God's word was copied correctly. They were protectors of God's word for future generations, which includes you and me. The Old Testament scriptures, I, I have a hard time thinking that, that, there's, that, that we don't know what Moses wrote down, what David wrote down. No, we, we, we've, got some, we've, got some good, we've got some good resources there. But what about the New Testament? Well, the New Testament, shortly, shortly after all these events happened, shortly after all these events happened, different churches and church leaders got together and said, hey, what's going to be in the New Testament? What's, you know, I don't know that they asked the question that way, but they said some of these, are, some of these things that have been written, they're scripture. They talk about Jesus' life, these, these things that Paul has written, these, they're, they're scripture. Well, first of all, they had to be apostolic, that is, written by an apostle or someone closely tied to an apostle. For example, James wasn't an apostle. He was a brother of Jesus. He's, he's close. He's close. Uh, Catholic. Now, I don't mean that they were, I don't mean, you know, the Catholic Church or the, the Roman Catholic Church. What I mean by Catholic is that there was widespread. There was general, you know, pretty wide, if not absolute universal acceptance in all the churches. And then Orthodox. That is, wait a minute, the Gospel of Judas? They got some teaching in here about Jesus that contradicts everything else. Uh-uh. That ain't gonna jive. So it's not it's not included. So you you may hear about some, you know, Leonardo da Vinci and his code and think he's got something, but he doesn't. Uh, they they took time. They took time. They they had to they had to meet criteria. They didn't just choose twenty seven books that they thought were fun to read and stuck them in there. They took time to understand why they were written, what was the purpose, what was the teaching within them. And uh, they, they did this early on in the church. Just, within just a couple of hundred years, had, these, uh, had, had different meetings, the councils, of Council of Nicaea. But then how can we trust those manuscripts? I mean, they're not on a hard drive. They're not in the cloud. They're not on somebody's desktop. How do we, how do we trust these, these writings? Well, just by comparison, I want to show you a chart a comparison. I don't know if you can read that. I'll try to read some of it for you. Here's some other ancient writings. 
Okay, the first one is some writings by Caesar, written within 144 B.C., a little bit before the Gospels and, and the New Testament was written. The earliest copy we have, however, is 900 A.D. That's 1,000 years after his original, and we have 10. We have 10 of those. But we don't dispute that that's Caesar's words. We accept that. We teach it in our schools and universities. Plato, very similar. There's 900 years between him. We have seven copies. Oh, but what about Homer? You know, he wrote the Iliad. Uh, 900 B.C. The earliest copy we have is 500 years. Okay, hey, we're getting close. 500 years now. We're within 500 years of Homer writing his. And we have 643 copies. We're, we're pretty certain that that story written by Homer, those are his words. What about the New Testament? In a span of about 60 years or so, the earliest copy is 25 to 50 years after the events took place. Maybe even by the loosest, the most liberal margin, 75 years after the original. Man, I mean, we're, we're really close. We have writings that date back to the time at which people who knew Jesus and Paul would have still been alive. And we have 24,000 copies. Man, if we can accept that Homer wrote the Iliad, can we not accept that Paul wrote Ephesians? Can we not accept that Luke knew what he was talking about when he wrote the book of Acts? I believe we can. I believe we can trust the New Testament. But yes, the Bible is trustworthy. But the last thing, the last reason that I use the Bible is just something that I have just come to realize really over the last several years, pastoral life. In, in, in my life as a, as a pastor, I, I, and I call these these holy moments, holy moments that, that, I get, that I get asked to be a part of, and I, I cherish them. I cherish these moments with you. I get to be there when your child is born or, or shortly thereafter. At the time that your child is dedicated, I, I'm, I'm the one that's up here, and I get to, to hold them, and then when they cry, I hand them back. I try to show up when you're having surgery or, or be at the hospital with you or when there's been a death, the pastor is the one that shows up. Or when there's a marriage, you know, it doesn't just have to be a, a, a tragedy. It could be something exciting or a graduation. Those moments in life, you look back and you, you remember those moments, those holy moments. And you and every other congregation member across the world, they invite pastors into those most cherished moments and significant moments of life. And that's just something that I've come to, to cherish and, and appreciate even more so than I did before. Why, let me ask you, why in the world would I want to enter into a moment like that with you with, with just my own thoughts? I, I, those, those moments are too precious. Those moments are too sacred for me just to come with my own thoughts and ideas. I'd rather trust God's word. If you've been to a ceremony I've done with a, uh, like a, a wedding ceremony, I just, I just read scripture and talk about scripture and, and, and use that to talk about a wedding. That's, that's all I know to do. My question to you, do you hold the Bible in high regard? The Bereans, they study God's word every day. Did you see the, the other group? They went to the synagogue once a week. But the Bereans open up God's word every day. Do you hold the Bible in high regard? Do you study it daily? 
listen, it's okay. It's okay to be ignorant about something in the Bible. I am. promise you. There's something I don't know. There's a lot of somethings I don't know. But it's not okay to say, I'm ignorant of that, and I'm okay with that. We need to pursue it. Study it. Try to gain understanding. Work through God's word to gain understanding. To, to be ignorant and choose to remain ignorant, I, I think it's just foolish. So do you, study God's, do you study the Bible daily? And then are you obedient to it? Are you obedient to God's word? Because listen, verse 11 again. They examined God's, or they examined the message daily with eagerness. In verse 12, consequently, many of them believed. Listen, here's just the last statement I want to share with you. Truly studying God's word, truly studying the Bible, it doesn't merely lead to intellectual knowledge and daily wisdom but to worshiping and honoring Jesus the Messiah. We don't study God's word just so we can put it in our brain. We study God's word so that we turn and worship the one that is testified to in God's word. We turn and we worship Jesus. We align our life to the call that he gave to the very first apostles. Come and follow me. How will I follow you? I need to know what you have to say. I need to know your statutes. I need to understand who you are. And it's all contained in God's word. May we be like the Bereans and open God's word every day. May we be like my buddy Raul. And every time we have a chance, open up God's word and say, Lord, teach me. Teach me. Show me. Renew a right spirit within me. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you about your written word, that it proclaims the truth. It proclaims the truth of the living word, Jesus Christ. And when it comes to preaching and teaching, that's our foundation. We go back to your word. Because when we go back to your word, then it's not my words. It's yours. And so, Father, we can, we can respond to it in a couple of different ways. We can respond to it and be angry or upset or jealous or reject it, just like we read some of them did. Well, Lord, we can come to you in an open heart and an open mind. and Father, just allow the truth of Scripture to speak to us. And I pray that when we do that, that we will see you for who you really are and that will result in worship and admiration and honor. Jesus Christ, the King, the Messiah. Father, there's someone in here today that does not honor you, that does not worship you, has never given their life to you. I pray that today is the day of salvation. That they would repent of their sin and trust you and not only receive the joy and the freedom that comes with Jesus Christ, but understands what it means to just receive Jesus Christ. And we get God in this, that, that, that we get a restored relationship. Father, I pray that today would be the day. Watch over us, guide us, and lead us. And wherever you do, may we simply and humbly follow you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Last, if you would please stand.
as we sing this last song together, you spend some time reflecting on who God is, on who you are, what God is leading you to do, and respond to him. As he speaks, you listen and respond. Aren't you glad you got to worship in the house of God this morning? Amen. Uh, pay attention to your to your bulletin, your church bulletin. I will uh, just just mention to you that um, we need to make, make sure that we know who is coming for Wednesday night suppers. And so if you're planning to be here, make sure that you sign up. You can sign up to just kind of be on a permanent list if that's what you want to do. That'd be great. But we want to know who's there so we know how to prepare food. Sometimes we, we have a lot left over, and, and you know, that, that can be wasteful, and so we don't want to do that. We want to be good stewards uh, in that regard. So, again, pay attention to your bulletin. Uh, we'll be right back in here tonight with the adults as we're walk, walking through the first chapter of our book by Watchman Nee. Uh, we have Awana tonight on a regular schedule, uh, and, so, and the youth will be in the fellowship hall. All right. I think that is all. Steve, will you come and close us out in a word of prayer? Before, whoa. Before I do that, um, I'd like to put a pitch in for the men's ministry. Next month, October, October 19th and the 20th, the evening of the 19th, which is a Friday, and the 20th, which is a Saturday, which we would have our normal monthly breakfast we're going to have a discipleship weekend for men and what we're asking you to do is if you have a son bring your son with you if you have a, a, a buddy bring your buddy but we're going to have a weekend pouring into each other the word of God we're going to have activities that we're going to be doing together bonding together but studying the scriptures as well and we're going to still have our breakfast the next morning Saturday morning and then when we're done with that, we're going to pour into Upward and serve there as well. So I just wanted to get that pitch in right now to get it in your minds. So if you'll bow your heads with me, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to come and worship. Lord, we just pray that ears heard the message that came through Pastor BJ today and that those that don't know you took that to heart and that the Spirit convicts them accept you Lord we just thank you Lord because you've done so much for us your blessings are so abundant we can't name them all but we don't know this we were created for you by you and that you are all that we need Lord as we leave this place today we pray that you'll go with each and every person and you'll guide them protect them and lead them in all that they do and that they keep their focus entirely on you we ask these things jesus in your most precious and holy of all names amen